Cielo da luna, mezza mara, mamma mia, mamma redare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Hollywood Godfather. And here we are, Hollywood Godfather podcast. See, I went into the book because I was just conferring with my partner in the book, Pat Picciarelli. And, How you doing, guy? Great, man, great. And we have our millennium, Megan Horn. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I like that jumpsuit. I, I think I can't see the rest of it. I happen to. I've seen it. But, <laughs> and you are wearing pants, right? Because this is going around. Okay, oh, I know. Yeah, people are on camera, but they're not wearing pants. I never wear pants. Oh, she. Well, oh, you're talking about her. Oh, funny. yeah. Please, please. Yeah. But I would like you, Pat, to introduce yes, our distinguished guest, and he definitely has a, a resume that deserves oh, that those accolades. Okay, we uh, tonight we have the honor of uh, having Paul Cialino on the show. Now, Paul and I go uh, go back away. Uh, we, we first met when we were discussing a possible book. And Paul is a private investigator in Chicago, and as everybody knows, that's what I do uh, also. So we had something in common. But uh, I mean, I know a, a lot of PIs. Obviously, I mean, I've been in the business for thirty years. And uh, it's it's a relatively small occupation. A lot of us know each other, but I've never met an investigator, a private investigator like Paul. Paul single-handedly got numerous people off of death row when they were uh, unjustly convicted of crimes. He did it on his own dime. Wow. And uh, wow. very impressive. And. I, I don't have a lot of people I admire, present company accepted, of course, but uh, Paul is definitely one of them. I mean, he, he the guy really knows his stuff. When the average PI is running around chasing cheating husbands, Paul is actually solving homicides. That's now, correct. that said, uh, he's been a Chicago native for, for many years, if not all his life, and he knows the mob and everything that accompanies it. So uh, I think he's going to enlighten us on a few things this evening. I present Paul Cialino. How you doing, Paul? I'm fine, Pat, Gianni, Megan. It's good to see you all again. My pleasure. Nice to see you pleasure. too. Well, Pat, you said that uh, he's going to enlighten me with the mob in Chicago. <laughs> well, well, he's going to. No, he's gonna we have mutual us. friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, you guys know a lot more than I do, but the majority of us, right. you two not, uh, you, you two accepted. Uh, Tell us who your mutual friends are and what uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight. Well, that's Paul. Paul's got a Paul Carrier. Well, I there's certain people we just talked about off air. We're not talking about on air. All right. right, because they do not have a sense of humor about this sort of thing still. And but I I've been listen. My father grew up at 26 in Wentworth, was the heart of uh, Al Capone's territory. My dad would have been 100 years old this year. He, he ran into Capone when he was a kid all the time. His next door neighbors. Uh, we're all very, very connected. My family was not. They were honest, hardworking, uh, blue-collar workers for the most part. And But I've grown up around it, in it. I've worked for just about everybody in the city who's been involved at a, in a higher level over the years, always defending him in federal or state court on various charges. So I'm familiar. Uh, I've grown up. I've been around it. Um, I'm glad I've never been a member. Oh yeah, hello. It took me it took me a long time to get them to know that I didn't want to be a member. And one good friend of mine that we did a show 
from Chicago who was a, became a mentor of mine at the age of 17 was Tony Ocado. Never worked for him. He was way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> Tony wouldn't have talked to somebody like me. No, I no, definitely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to, if Tony knew about me, it's usually be in a bad way. So I'm glad he didn't know me. Right, right. Paul helped me out. Uh, I was uh, asked to do a book. Uh, you're going to have to, Paul, you have to refresh my uh, memory. That uh, that attorney who flipped, what was his Robert name? Robert Cooley. Robert Cooley. Yes. What a story this was. Uh, Cooley was, uh, he started out as a police officer in, in, in Chicago, went to law school, and became an attorney for the for the mob, or at least a faction of it, for the outfit. And uh, he decided to flip. And if you listen to his side of the story, it was because uh, he discovered truth, justice, and the American way. Of course, Paul set me straight. Not true. Well, yeah, he got caught with his, with his hand in a cookie jar. He was basically, he basically was a degenerate gambler who owed everybody so much money he was working it off. He he wasn't the typical lawyer you would go to because he didn't have any talent. He wasn't a good attorney. Of course, your fixer. He he was a fixer. He's good at paying people off. Yeah. And and uh, he was in his heyday. We had a thing called Operation Gray Lord, where I don't know fifteen twenty Cook County judges got indicted for corruption. There was a suicide there, too, if I recall. Uh, a one a real big suicide. One of them killed himself after he retired. He was in Arizona. And he had taken, uh, I think, $20,000 in a murder case involving uh, Henry Ailman, who, who's a notorious outfit killer in Chicago. He's dead now. He's uh, half Spanish, half Italian. And if you were on Henry's list in your pocket, you, you were not long for this world. But there was a I believe the judge's name was Mahoney. And Cooley, and the, uh, they got to him. They gave him, I think, ten or twenty thousand, and he walked Henry Aleman out. They gave him not guilty. And this is an important case because uh, eventually Henry was tried again for that murder because the judge had taken money, and it was a, the first time double jeopardy ever been basically uh, thrown out the window in this country. Wow! It was an unfair trial. Well, it was fixed. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that's unfair. <laughs> Right. <laughs> the ultimate un unfairness. Yes. Man. So how did Cooley get caught? Uh, Cooley got caught because the feds got on to him and he flipped. He didn't really get caught. He just decided to go to work for the government. Okay. Well, he, he contacts me. Right. Uh, I don't know how he found me. I forgot because this was like, this was at least 12 years ago. Uh, and uh, he's playing James Bond. I, I had to meet him in an undisclosed location in Pittsburgh. He flew in from Pittsburgh. And I had to listen to his uh, story, which is what I do. I mean, I write other people's uh, stories. So as soon as he started talking, he made himself out to be uh, purer than the driven snow. It was everybody else's fault. And I said, well, this isn't going to work. But I, I didn't want to you know, walk away from the guy 20 minutes after I sat down. So I listened to his bullshit. And then I wrote, I, I took notes. And uh, afterwards, uh, he, he had to leave. And he, by the way, he signed himself out of the witness protection program, and he was making a living as a as a day trader. He traded stock for a living. Uh, so I was going to take him to the airport, and uh, now I'm trying to figure out how to get rid of this guy because I don't believe a word he's saying. So we, we get in my car. I'm going to drive him to the airport, but first, he jumps out of the car before we even leave. And he says, oh, I have, to, I have to get something out of my trunk. 
So I, 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 I popped the trunk, and he's back there for like five minutes. I don't know what the hell he's doing back there, but I can't see him because the lid of the trunk is open. So he closes it. He gets back in the car, and uh, I, I take him. I take him to the airport. He says, uh, you know, I'll give you a call. And I figured with the, I, can, I can tell him on the phone that I had second thoughts about the book and I'm not going to do it. Uh, I get back to the house and I open my trunk and I had a case of books back there. I always carry around a case of books that I've written in case the police stopped me or whatever. And I, I took my way out of it. He didn't go have a book. Well, he spent the five minutes back there stealing my books <laughs> and putting them in his luggage. Oh, that's now, funny. all he had to do was ask, you know, so this is this is what I'm dealing with. You know, so I, he stole all my books. I, I couldn't believe this guy. That's funny. Uh, anyway, his book, I, I got rid of him. His book was eventually written and written well, may I add, but it was written the way he wanted it told, which means it tanked. And the book didn't sell anything because it was all everybody else's fault. He was honest and he wanted to uh, expose the corruption in Chicago. Uh, I don't know what became of him. Do you know what became of him? I still running around uh, hustling. Not in Chicago, though. Oh, no, no, yeah. not here. Uh, no. That's that, a little bit too dangerous for him to be here. Yeah. All right. Hmm. When, when did you start getting these uh, guys out of prison, these life sentence guys that were? This, this started for me around 1996 or 97, Gianni, and uh, it involved a case called the Fort Heights Four. There was four black guys who were accused of murdering and uh, committing a brutal rape on a young white couple in South Chicago Heights. And these guys got convicted. They were tried about five different times. Appellate court kept kicking them back. Two of them were on death row, two were doing life. We got involved in the case and I identified uh, the four guys who actually did commit the crime. And we, and we got these guys out of jail because we were able to get DNA matches on the real killers. Oh, wow. Well, I, you know, the, the question presents itself, uh, why didn't the, 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 the police find us out? The police knew they had the wrong guys, and they didn't care. They didn't. Uh, these kids were all young black kids, by the way, who had never been in trouble. The dudes who did it were all outlaws, and everybody in the neighborhood knew who committed this crime. And the police had their names for day one of that investigation. But they had identified these four, and... They just went ahead with it. This is something we see in wrongful convictions all the time. It's called tunnel vision. Yeah, particularly in Chicago. Yes. And uh, we're, Illinois is the capital of the world of wrongful convictions. Followed oh. closely oh, wow. by Florida and Texas and West Virginia. And Virginia. So well, these guys I'm glad I never went to, I'm glad I never went to trial in Chicago. <laughs> you oh, that's just bad. Chicago if you don't have a pocket full of money and great lawyers. And when uh. I say great lawyers, it better be a lawyer who's on his particular A game at the time you go to trial. Do you know Jackie Cerrone Jr.? What do you think of him? I, I don't know him personally, but I, I know the family, of course. Well, of course. Yeah, but, but he, he turned out to be a good lawyer, I heard. Uh, he, he is He's a good lawyer. He's not on the A list for everybody, but he is a good attorney. Right. I, I, was yeah. at, I was in Melrose Park the night his father got out, and we had a big party out at the Leiden Motel. And some wild cowboys, you probably know the story, came in and shot up the giant. It, it's, uh, I love Melrose Park. Yeah. Oh, me a too, of, man. I spent a lot, a lot of, of time out there. Oh, my God, yeah. Yes. But uh, Okay, I'm going to bring up the Porter case, which I think was the best out, out of all the exonerations you got. I, I believe, if I recall correctly, this was a while ago. He was 24 hours away from getting fried, right? 
This was in 1999. A guy named Anthony Porter was on death row uh, for the killing of a, a couple. Everybody's African-American in this case. And he was accused of shooting on the death. There was really no motive or, you know, reason. But Porter was kind of a shithead, always in trouble, a typical uh, wannabe gangster, uh, thief, strong-armed robber. But he didn't commit this murder. And I got involved. He was scheduled to be executed in 48 hours. I get a call from Northwestern University. We have a meeting, and we're able to delay his execution because I found out he had been hit in the head with a uh, weightlifting bar in jail. And I knew one thing for sure. He'd have organic brain damage. And if you got organic brain damage, you're presumed to be incompetent. So we got him an emergency MRI. Sure enough, he had organic brain damage. Now, Porter had an IQ of about 70. He wasn't mentally retarded, but he was certainly a mentally defective person. And I don't think he ever went to school much beyond fourth or fifth grade. But we were able to identify who did commit the murder. And and I'll skip all the details, but we got Anthony Porter out of jail within four or five months, which is a record. Sometimes we spend 20 years on these cases. Wow. I got a confession from the guy who actually did do the murder, who did have a motive, who did have the opportunity and he confessed to me on videotape, this this is what got then Governor George Ryan, a conservative Republican governor, to eventually get rid of the death penalty and kick everybody in Illinois who was on death row off. And that mostly happened because of a meeting wow. I had with Ryan a week before he left office. And I was able to convince him this is a bad thing. Uh, now, no good deed goes unpunished, Gianni, because I wound up eventually getting sued for $40 million in that case, along with Northwestern and wow. a, a college professor who worked there. Who sued you? Uh, a bunch of guys who wanted the death penalty back, some heavy-duty Republican lawyers out here in DuPage County, uh, another guy who defends police misconduct cases, uh, two private investigators, a, a copper in Chicago who's a, a so-called writer, and a, uh, one other person. And Al Story Simon, the guy who was in jail, they convinced him, they convinced the then state's attorney, who hated us because we were getting people out of prison, to uh, let him out of jail. They filed a suit against us. I refused to settle. Uh, they dismissed me from this lawsuit. But if you want to ruin your business, get sued for $40 million. Well, I have. <laughs> I sued for it, and I have now. I have for the last three years. I have a twenty-five million dollars suit pending against these people. Um, my attorney actually is a woman named Jennifer Bonjean, who works out of Brooklyn. Oh wow! And if you're ever in trouble or you have a civil rights case, uh, Jenny Bonjean is the probably the first person you'd want to call. She is a, a incredible, incredibly gifted young civil rights attorney who just does nothing but win. And uh, she's literally probably saved my life. Wow. That's, thank God. Thank God for in, Jenny. In, in, in this Porter case, you had passed yourself off as a, as a, uh, a TV journalist, right? Pardon me? You had passed yourself off as a TV journalist? Well, no, no. I, I, he knew exactly who I was. And, and by the way, Pat, remember this is all on videotape. This was taped, right? Yeah, right. I, uh, 20 years, I've learned how to take confessions. And, and I got to tell you, videotape is usually foolproof. But if you get the right people to listen to you and enough corrupt people involved, they could turn anything around. So 
that confession became me holding a gun to his head, saying I was a Chicago police officer, uh, all kinds of alleged misconduct. Now, never mind, I'd run into this guy in prison sometimes, and he would say hi. He was friendly. No hard feelings. He's still in. <laughs> no, he's out. He got out. A woman named Anita Alvarez, who was the state's attorney, she let him out of jail about a year early. How many years did he do? Well, here's the thing. He got sentenced under the old laws when this crime happened, and he got 35 years on a plea, which means he had to do 17 on a double homicide. Wow. Now, mind you, the guy who originally gets convicted gets the death penalty for that homicide, but he gets the deal of the century because mostly they wanted this case to go away. They were too embarrassed by it, the authorities. So he had about 14, 15 in when he got out. He had another 18 months, two years left. And what's Porter doing? Did he straighten out his life? Porter's a hot mess, always has been. Uh, he's living somewhere, I think, in Indi- northern, northwest Indiana. But and he's a lost soul who is, uh, you know, he has no coping mechanisms, no job, no future. Uh, he's got a bunch of illegitimate kids running around. He, Did he get a civil judgment from uh, from Chicago? No, he went to trial and lost, got a not guilty uh, against the city. He, the only thing he ever got was $250,000 from the state, for uh, which is kind of a... a, a by statute, he was entitled to. But the personal, the civil rights suit, he lost because the jury said, although they felt he was innocent, I uh, did not believe the police were operating in a uh, in a willful and wanton manner. Right. I would argue that point, but <laughs> yeah, right. uh, the city had good lawyers. And so did Anthony, just a bad jury. So and I... a former Chicago cop was a judge in that case who hardly let any evidence in. What a shame. But anyway, it's a good thing you were there. I mean, the guy was 48 hours away from getting uh, getting executed. Well, we saved his life, and him, yeah. him and many others. And, and and the point being is, I don't want anyone getting killed or in prison for something they didn't do. And well, I've no always kidding. A, I've always had a problem with that. Yeah. Well, thank, that's a good thing you did. Thank God there's people like you around. <laughs> there, there's not many, Gianni, and... Uh, no good deed goes unpunished. You have a lot of enemies when you take on cases like this. And I uh, I would not recommend it to a young investigator starting out. Well, I want to ask you two guys who have been in law enforcement, and Megan knows the name I'm going to mention now. What do you think of Kim Kardashian becoming a lawyer, and she's an advocate to get people out of prison? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I don't think much of Kim Kardashian the person, but Kim Kardashian the, uh, the activist for wrongfully convicted, is doing an incredible job. Uh, she's got the president's here. She's gotten a whole bunch of people pardoned. And uh, could she get through law school? I, I very much doubt it, but I don't think she has to. Uh, because actually, in her case, it's her Rolodex is what counts. Right. And I'm, I'm presumably she's really doing God's work. She's trying. Well, you know whose work she's doing, because I was very friendly with her father. <laughs> the, the people who she's getting out, are worthy of it. They are innocent. So she's she's been very effective. Uh, well, she has the money stuff. too. She has the money, the fame. And she gets a lot of a lot of publicity for it, and a lot of people listen to her. You were they saying you, you were saying you know her father, Johnny. Oh, I knew him well. In fact, those girls used to come to my house in Beverly Hills when they were little girls. Rob Kardashian, uh, OJ, they all came to my house. Oh, I was wow. in the, I was in the record business then. So it was a uh, 
Christmas was very interesting. I watched these kids grow, and then I'm watching them defend with with uh, Bobby Shapiro and all those guys. I knew all those guys. The dream team for OJ. I couldn't believe I, it. I worked on the OJ case, Gianni. Oh, I, did you? Uh, yeah, did I did you? the Chicago work for them, and uh, so so I. I well, yeah, he I, went to he flew to Chicago that night. That's that's why I got involved. Okay. Involved. The the investigator on that case was a guy named Pat McKenna out of. Uh, West Palm Beach was just magnificent. And uh, Pat got me involved. I, the two Pats. I got one in New York, one in Florida. <laughs> uh, and well, I told you I told you that I got involved with that with a uh, polygraph, right? Yeah. I, I think I, I, I told Gianni the, the story. Uh, when the uh, polygraph went to uh, uh, computerization, I had to be retrained. And I went up to this the guy's uh, school who invented the computerized polygraph. I don't want to mention his name, uh, but he he invented the uh, the software to have the old fashioned polygraph, and you've seen it numerous times in the movies. The pens going back and forth, and the paper shooting out. Right. So now it's all it's all computerized. So I'm up there for a three day course, and this was when uh, this was in the, the late '90s when uh, everything that you wanted to save had to be on a floppy disk. So he had about a thousand floppy disks in shoeboxes behind me. Now, he didn't tell me that he had uh, gotten involved in the OJ case, and uh, I had no idea. So we were looking at real cases. So I said, uh, well, give me one of the floppies. He says, reach over your shoulder and just grab a disk out of the box. So I did. And I put it in my computer, and it turned out to be OJ Simpson's polygraph test. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, he the way this it? happened was... How did he pass the, it? <laughs> the, 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 I never told you the story, Johnny. No. Okay, the dream team, I'm using air quotes here, Right. Uh, decided, well, hey, OJ is an actor, and I will take exception, uh, uh, exception to that, but they figured, let's give him a polygraph test, and with his acting chops, he'll pass it, and we'll leak it to the press, and it'll tank the jury pool. That was their plan. So he takes the test, and uh, I wouldn't consider O.J. an actor by any means. And I did the polygraph because he failed miserably. So now this thing has to vanish like wow. it never happened. Wow. So they give it back. They give the floppy disk back to the guy who gave the test, who was now teaching me the computerized polygraph. So I gave him I – was, I was in the school, the, the three days of instruction. I gave him back the disk. But what I didn't give him back – was the poly the the, the I, I downloaded the disc, so okay. I go home with that information, and this is this is a great story to tell at cocktail parties. So over the course of the year, I'm saying, yeah, you know, I got OJ's polygraph. By this time, he's acquitted. He's you know he's he's not going back to jail at least not for that. I mean, he subsequently did nine years for armed robbery, but uh, I get I get a call one day uh, from uh, the Inquirer. You know the rag. I know. I know. Well, well there's a lot of inquiries. But no, you, Eugene Pope created that with Frank Costello's money. I know they, all about well, it. You're, then you're quite familiar. Hello. I, I was offered a huge amount of money to give that that uh, this, that. Uh, so why off. didn't you? Well, you know the guy who invented this computerized polygraph and who actually did the test. I would have destroyed him. Because oh. he's the only one who was supposed to have that test. And now I've got it. Now, he would have been ruined. I, I wasn't in my heart to do that. And I okay. never did it. I still have it. And the next time you and I get together, I'll show you the chart. 
I, he actually signed it. Oh my gosh! And I can't I believe you had that. That's crazy. Still, all these years, I still have it. Now, of course, over the they they they, they kept on calling me for a little while, and until they didn't, because they realized, you know. And as 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 time went on, there was less interest in, in, in the case. And I, I I think it's virtually worthless now, except as a, a collector's item. But I was offered a huge amount of money for that for that uh, chart. All I had to do was all I had to do was hit the send button, well, and I would have been very wealthy. But I couldn't do it to this guy. Not that I'm that honorable, trust me. But uh, I mean, this guy had a family. I didn't want to ruin him, right. and I didn't do it. And subsequently, and one of the reasons I didn't want to mention his name is because he got in some serious trouble with the law in some other case, and I think maybe he did time. Oh. So now I'm thinking back, and maybe I should have sold the guy then. Yeah, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Just a thought, but. Uh, anyway, well, yeah. Paul, Paul, what would what would be your f most famous case you think that our audience would be interested? Well, Gianni, no doubt would be the death penalty cases collectively as a group. Um, and I've done a lot of famous criminal defense cases. Uh, what about the Italian uh, m murder? What's her name? Which one? The one you went to Italy. Oh, for. Amanda Knox. Yeah, oh my he God! Did Amanda Knox oh case. wow! Wow! Uh, I How did you forget that? <laughs> because I was working for 48 hours, CBS News program. Oh, sure. I, mean, I read that in your resume. That's so, impressive. Gianni, <laughs> Excuse me. I'm the first American to get to uh, Italy on the Knox case. And I get there. It takes me about three days to figure out this case is bullshit. This girl did not commit this crime. Right. Um, Why? Let me tell you. What what a shit show that was in Italy. The Italians hated her with a purple passion. Why? So yeah, why is that? Uh, she was an immature girl who had no idea how to handle herself um, in any regard. Very bright girl. Went to an all-girls Catholic high school in Seattle. Uh, excellent student. Uh, goes to Italy, first time away from home, and of course she goes wild. Uh, her biggest crime was having a boyfriend named uh, Rafael Silicio, who's a marvelous, wonderful kid. Father was a prominent uh, urologist in Rome. Um, his mother had committed suicide. Rafael looked like Harry Potter, except better looking. Mm -hmm. And she <laughs> fell mad in love with him, and her and Rafael go down like a rock. And Gianni, you love this story because. The Italians did everything in their power to get Raphael to flip on her and testify against her. His whole family said, Raphael, testify against her. You go home, nothing happens to you. He would not do it. What, and a, what a nice guy. Hello. If it wasn't for him, she'd still be there. still might be in prison. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But they had virtually no evidence in this case. There was no evidence. None. They made it up. Yeah. Um, overwhelming evidence against Rudy Gaudet, the uh, East African who had been adopted by a family in Perugia. By the way, Rudy Gaudet is adopted as a young child by the wealthiest family in Perugia. And Gianni, Perugia is uh, famous for making chocolate. That's right. about it. Oh, yeah. It's an old, ancient town. It's about 500 years old, chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, it's, it's famous for the international college there of students and, and for all the dope that gets smoked on the streets. That, that's about it. And it's a great place to go to college and have a good time. Um, not a good place to get arrested because the prosecutor in this case was a psychopath 
who was insane. And he he got his theory of the case from a psychic, an Italian psychic, a woman who's got some kind of Italian royalty in her. She gets her information from a priest, a Roman Catholic priest. The only problem is uh, the priest has been dead for about eight years at this point. Oh, my God. And based on what she tells the prosecutor, they're off and running on Amanda Knox and, and never backed off. And, it, and it's fascinating, Pat, because I'm dealing with the Italian police in Rome who are very good guys. I mean, a lot of fun, good-looking, smart, uh, engaging, personable, but stone idiots. Couldn't investigate a murder if, if their life depended on it. And oh, so did, did they ever arrest this, this other guy? Yeah, he's in prison. Oh, yeah, he's for in that, prison. For that homicide. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His DNA was in the victim and, and her everywhere. Everywhere. Right? His fingerprints were in her purse above her head where she, he murdered her. So how uh, much time do you get in uh, in uh, Italy for murder? He's he's out like now, gets out on weekends and goes to school, and he'll be getting out totally. He's well, his, the, people, the, people who, the people who uh, you brought up lightly, the people who adopted him, Get anything they want. They're politically connected. They, they, they walked away from this kid years ago because they, they couldn't do anything with him. He was a minor, out gangster, strong arm robber, home invader. He was no good. And and his family just threw up their hands finally. The only thing he was good at was playing basketball. What, was, it do, was it during the case or before the case? Uh, before the case, they walked away from him. Well, then how, how did he get away with what he did for so long? They had their sights on Amanda Knox. The Italians wanted Amanda Knox. Their attitude was she was the culprit. She was the real guilty person. And Rudy agreed to testify against her. Wow. So how, so how many years did he wind up doing? He's still in. I think maybe a total of eight or nine or ten years by the time he's out. Not bad for murder. No. You, you, also had the, you also had the Kennedy rape case. I had one of the Kennedy rape cases. And yeah, there's a few of them, but the, the the one where you and I met in Manhattan for dinner with the CBS people, I think. Right. Yeah. Which Kennedy case was that? I forgot. That it was so William Kennedy Smith was accused of raping a girl that worked for him here in Chicago. William Kennedy Smith is an interesting guy because he's a medical doctor. Uh, he was very big on this uh, charitable organization with Princess Diana uh, regarding land unexploded landmines throughout Europe, and he... Of course, he's a Kennedy. He had a, a big medical practice here in Chicago that he didn't work at because he really, although a medical doctor, he never worked at one. He basically raised money. Right. But he, a young lady came to me who had been, uh, worked for him, young girl, 18, 19 years old. He had raped her one night when he got drunk. And that, then he, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Kennedy format. <laughs> uh, this guy, if you're a good-looking woman you don't want to be around him if he's drinking if he's not drinking he's fine that's um, well there, there's a big story getting ready to come out out of one of the new york papers i've been talking to a writer out there who's been doing a story on him he's living in washington dc now he's married um he ran for the school board out there not too long ago how old so, is he he's got to be mid 50s now oh wow late 50s yeah i i, I recall that that night we all went to dinner, uh, whoever the on-air correspondent was, I forgot his name, and and the victim was there. She still seemed like she was shell-shocked. Yeah, she was a mess. She's, she's yeah. always, she was horribly damaged as a result of this whole thing. And he beat it. 
he hired Dan Webb, paid him $450,000. And this is Chicago, Dan Webb, walked into court and got the uh, civil suit dismissed uh, first time out. Wow. Does so, the power to Kennedy's? Yes. Or he's, or he's a good lawyer? Well, both. Uh, both. That's and wild. the mayor at the time, Daly, had a personal interest in the case because he's very close to the Kennedy Oh, family. my God, yeah, hello. Yeah. It, what, it, have it, became, uh, what have became of the victim, do you know? Uh she's she's still around she, she's not doing great what a shame i'll leave it at that it comes from a really really solid nice family megan how are we doing with time Ben? uh we have like five more minutes oh great good so what what's the greatest five minutes you could give us paul <laughs> um you know yeah pat asked me great cases I, cbs we did a number of great cases we've been amanda knox a, a black guy in uh, florida named crosley green we investigated this case in 1999, accused of killing uh, this kid down there in a uh, uh, robbery. He'll be coming out of jail probably within the next three months. Um, it's a big deal case, especially in Florida. And finally, I think he's coming out after 31 years, maybe. Um, it, it, I've done a lot of West Case courses. Uh, the, the Barefoot Bandit. Remember the kid who was stealing airplanes and flying all over the place? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, worked on that, that case? case for uh, 48 hours. This is a great case, Gianni. This kid learned how to fly planes uh, on Microsoft uh, program on the computer. Wow. Oh he stole two <laughs> planes. Uh, one of them was during the Canadian Olympics. Canadian fighter jets were trying to shoot him down. They couldn't catch him. <laughs> he, he crashed the plane and walked away. A few weeks later, he steals another plane, flies across country to the Bahamas, and crashes that plane uh, in the Bahamas and walks away from that crash. How, does, how do you walk away from these crashes? How does he walk away from all these crashes? Does he eject, eject himself? in real muddy areas. And, and oh, wow. Fire. He runs out of gas, basically, and puts the plane down. But the kid never took a flying lesson in his life, and he was running around. He was 19 years old. He's raised like a wolf. It was great. <laughs> wow. No, his mother was horrible, horrible person. Uh, his mother pulled a loaded shotgun on me when we were out there trying to interview her in the uh, in the Seattle area. Jesus. But he eventually went to jail, or, or, or he was guns pulled on me, then I can count. Oh, was, that's insane. Wow. Was he deemed mentally incompetent, or did, or did he stand trial? He stood trial, or actually. Uh, uh, guy named John Henry, really good lawyer in Seattle, got him a deal. He wound up doing about six years. And uh, he's out now, and he's working for some law firm, I think. He wants to get a pilot license, but the federal government isn't having it. Yeah, I, law. I could see why. <laughs> the kid, kid yeah, was I funny, Gianni. Why. I mean, he, he had big ones, babe. Yeah, yeah hello, Jesus. If it flew, he'd steal it. And <laughs> That's amazing. Johnny, he didn't know how to turn a plane on, okay? And he was stealing them and flying them. That, that is, is wild. What did he, what he, what he do, hot wire the plane, or they wore on when he stole they're, they're pretty easy, and usually people leave keys nearby or in the hangar and stuff. Uh, yeah. One plane was an experimental plane. It Basically, you fly it with a joystick, and a yeah. disc jockey out in the Seattle area owned it, and he's, the plane was brand new, and he stole it, got it up in there, and he flew it to the Bahamas and crashed it from Seattle. How much was the I mean, the damage on these cases alone have to be well, astronomical. You know, you, you, airplanes, you know, at about a million bucks a copy. Usually. I know. It's not like stealing a Chevy. Yeah, <laughs> these didn't have a cell phone change, you know, or a pay phone change on them most of the time. Wow. That is amazing. 
Everybody understand it. A great, great story we, we worked on. It was a phenomenal story. Yeah. You got to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he said. I've written six books, Pat. You know, yeah, that, that, that's something that we didn't mention. Paul is, a, is an author in his own right. Oh, great. Yeah, he, he, he pumps them out. Well, we, that's, we, we talk about that all the time. In fact, he's working on something now that we, I guess we don't want to talk about. We don't have the time, but it's going to be a hell of a book. Right, but I, I, well, I want to mention Hollywood Godfather, which I, I think, and Pat and I are very close friends, Gianni, but uh, what, to me, one of the most incredible stories I've ever read, that the fact that you've never been locked up is amazing to me. <laughs> never, I never had handcuffs on. Not alone locked up. I never had handcuffs on. <laughs> I know it. I don't know how you've done it, but I'm telling you, you're my business model if I come back, okay? <laughs> I'm coming back as ba- you. A, 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 a good mentor from, of mine, which I was introduced to, and I had an envelope on with me when I first met him at the Palmer House. C- Costello said, you're going to meet this guy, and uh, when you meet him, Give him this envelope. He's going to read it. He's going to read a letter to you, and you sign it. Sidney Korshak, <laughs> who, who was like the best mob lawyer of all time, right? Well, uh, the fifteen thousand I had in the envelope, Costello gave me as his retainer. I signed the paper. He said, "Now we could talk." <laughs> yeah. I mean, this. I guy, tell you, yeah, yeah. He, he hasn't been locked up yet, but the night is still young. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Maybe, I'm yeah. home though. So that'll Listen. Get, there's not a chance. Gianni is no. charmed. Not yeah. going to happen. My house, my house was surrounded by FBI <laughs> agents. I went to I went to J.W. Brown International at LAX. I had a bunch of debit cards. I don't have credit cards even now. And I went in there. I drove my Ferrari there, three three eighty. The guy's yelling, you can't park here. So I ate my car. He's what are you talking about? I threw him the keys. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> it's your car now, right? It's your car. Don't worry about it. And I go inside, I'm giving airline hostesses my debit cards saying I'm going through a bad divorce. There's only a couple of thousand on each one. Wherever you land, go shopping. Because, you know, they're going to try to track me on where I was spending money. That's a great story. Gianni, great, great stories. And, and I, anyone who hasn't read this book, read it. If you read comic books, you want to read this thing. <laughs> this is one of the best books I have ever read. Well, coming from you, story. thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, it was a hard story to tell too because no one wanted to see this thing published. It was incredibly tell us about it. well done. Right. Uh, the effort that you and Pat put into it was just magnificent, and uh, I, I just I love the book. That's why I flew out to New York to be with you guys when you, when you released it. That's right. I yeah, remember thank you for that. Yeah, yeah you. I tell you that people who, uh, who who turned it down, I think, are now regretting that. They should be, and I and I predict bigger and better things as a result of that book. Yeah, and, no, thank you. It's already happened. By the way, thank you all deserve it too, because it took it took a lot to write that book. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure Johnny, having uh, you with Johnny, us. Johnny, uh, Paul reads reads all my stuff before I hand it in. Oh, great, good. Yeah, yeah. So, Gianni, I'm reading this as Pat's writing it, and I was just I was knocked out. Oh, good, good. But, but I'm probably not a good agent because I'm telling Pat, man, you ain't never gonna have to work again after they read this book. You're, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Megan. Megan. Yes. When you get in your Ferrari. Oh. Okay, tell the know. old guy to bust loose with some of uh, the <laughs> Ferrari. We, okay? we got some plans for her coming <laughs> up shortly, too. She's going to be buying us cars in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. All right, Paul. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Paul, thank you so much, and, man. Yes, thank you, Paul. This is uh, great. Megan, Gianni, Pat, it's always a pleasure. Anytime you ever you, you need.
needed 30 minutes to kill. I'm glad to show up. Well, uh, you do thank a lot you. more appreciate than that. Yeah, you really killed it, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, guys. Have a great evening. All right. Okay. Thanks, God bless you, honey. Bye-bye. God bless. Well, it's time for the mailbag. What a All great right, interview. Let's get to it. That was a great, great show. Guy. Yeah. yeah, that was. He's, he's, always, he's a great guy. I've known him for years. And, and he's a pro, obviously. Yep, he knows what he's mm -hmm. doing. All right, let's get to it. First message we have is from Archie. Archie says, I've been listening to your podcast. I just heard you talking about Rayo's restaurant and Louie Dome. I was a very close friend to Lou. I have many interesting stories regarding Rayo's and many of the characters that hung out there. Around 1979, I was having dinner at Rayo's with Louis Dome and Frank, who owned Venero's Pastry. Lou told Frank Pellegrino that I would be given his table every Monday night. I went to Rayo's every Monday for the next 25 years. I love your podcasts, and I loved reading your book. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That's nice. Well, yeah. to have Louis Dome as your, one of your guys, I spent years and years and years with Louis. Louis, as most people know or don't know, he actually controlled Sinatra after a while. Oh, okay. He got him Westchester premiere, and they all went to prison for it. Frank didn't, but uh, yeah, yeah. it, um, no, Louis, Louis was uh, very responsible for me and my whole relationship with Frank, and, mm -hmm. and then there was a, 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 a bad side of it, which I don't Read talk about. the book. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah right. that's right. It's in the book. It's in the all book. it needs to be said. Yeah, yep. it's in the book. <laughs> Unless you have three hours to spend with us, yeah. we'll tell you the story. True. All right, next one is from Stephen. Hope you're all staying safe during these trying times. I've listened to every episode of the podcast and enjoy the stories from both Gianni and Pat, as well as Megan's millennial perspective. I've also listened to Gianni's interview with Patrick Bet David many times, and I love it. My question is following the death of Frank Costello in 1973. How is Gianni's relationship with the mafia maintained? Did he have a new point of contact? Is this a formal process where you're given a new individual that you communicate with who then passes information up the line of command? Well, I mean, how, what happened to me? I mean, my life is not of a norm of being involved with so many different families. I got to meet most families in the 60s, early 60s, 59, 60, 61, during the campaign to get Senator John F. Kennedy in office. So I was dealing with the Savellos and the Marcellos and Chicago and everybody else. So uh, I didn't need a credential after Costello died, or as we would say, a rabbi to step up and vouch for me after that. I've already proven myself. And that was just right. too valuable at that time. Costello died in 73. Right. So the Godfather was out. I was dealing with a lot of money for the mob. And uh, and very respectful. Right. Did you know what I found out today? What? Uh, when they were uh, uh, casting for The Godfather, Marvin Belli read for Brando's part. Did you know that? Really? But if, uh, for our audience to know Marvin Belli's a lawyer. Yeah, who's that? <laughs> yeah, he's, oh. he's an attorney who uh, represented... He, he, he was a civil lawyer, but he, he didn't do yeah. criminal cases other than you know, right. Jack Ruby. He, yeah. he, uh, he defended Jack Ruby, but... Yeah, he, he was a he was a wannabe actor, and he got somebody to to, to, to talk to, to Francis and said, uh, you know, let this guy read, and he he gave him the courtesy of reading, right. but of course he wasn't going to get the part. But yes, but he, he had an act, he hadn't acted before. No, he's an attorney. Um, and, that would have been his first part. Well, Bruce, I got Bruce Cutler a part. 
who, who, who came out of nowhere and that was their first part and were in The Godfather. We don't know any people like that, do we? No, no, no. <laughs> no one. But it's no, funny because no. 15 <laughs> minutes of fame, they had me going to be in, I don't know how many people saw this movie. It was a De Niro movie, great movie. And in 15 minutes of fame, they had me coming in to read for the attorney. So I said to, to the director, I said, you should get Bruce Cully. He could do this in his sleep. They did. <laughs> I talked they myself out of a job. Yeah, the name of the movie was 15 Minutes. I, I recall right. it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Great, great movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he dies. Yeah. That doesn't happen too often in no. movies. No, no, they killed him in the middle of the movie, De Niro. Yeah, yeah, it's odd. I was surprised. That's that was the shock of this movie. He was a yeah, fire. That, he was, was a fire inspector, yeah, a New York fire inspector. De Niro was playing Joker, and they killed him. Right? Yeah, this was about twenty years ago. It was he. He played a NYPD lieutenant. Right. Gotcha. Oh, interesting. Interesting stuff. Well, as for the question that was asked, thank you, Stephen, for your very kind messages as well as your question. Oh yeah, please, Stephen. So next one is from Stephanie. Stephanie says, first, I love you and I love the show. Second, I learned about you, Gianni, she said she Johnny loved. Dare wait, Morning wait, Show. Wait, wait, wait. Let's that... clarify. She loving Stephanie, loving Pat, loving you, loving me. This is directed at you, Gianni. Oh, I, 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 I want <laughs> She just loves you. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, yeah. Just, it could be us collectively. That's why I didn't. I think we should say us. We're a package. Okay. It's you, plural. <laughs> Um, she says, I learned about you from Johnny Dare Morning Show in Kansas City. And finally, my question. I've listened to a couple podcasts about Frank Costello by a Costello expert by the name of Casey Musgrave. Since you certainly seem to be the expert on Mr. Costello, I just wondered if you ever met or shared info with Musgrave. Um, great job in the podcast. And Megan, you were great. Thank you. Well, I never met him, and I, I'm not an expert on Costello. All I'm an expert with Costello is my relationship with him early on in my life, and he became my father figure, and he protected me. Right, you had a personal me. connection with yeah. him, obviously. Yeah, I had nothing to do with, you know, I was a messenger, basically. Most of the yeah. time, I never knew what it was. Yeah, you that's a, you were just a kid. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I was. So do you know who this Casey Musgrave is? No, or? I don't. No. Okay. Do you, about Pat? No, I never heard the name. Uh, it, it sounds like he's a writer. Right. But I'm, I'm not familiar with the name, no. No. Hmm. All right, next is from Doug. Doug says, I had a question about Mr. C and the chin. In your book, you don't discuss the attempted hit on Mr. C by, by Vincent Giganti in 1957. From all I have read about this incident, I understood that it sort of pushed Mr. C into retirement, but your book's, book talks about Mr. C running things well into the 1970s still. Was he still in power by just staying under the radar? What's your take on the attempted hit by the chin? And what was your reaction back in 1957 when it happened? Well, I, I love the book, and you were great on the Jim and Sam show on SiriusXM. Keep up the great work. Well, the, the hit on Costello, basically, he wanted out. Genovese won them killed, because while he was away, he was running the Genovese family. And what... Genovese didn't know, and a lot of other people in New York, they were moving on. That's when they created the syndicate with Maya Lansky in Chicago, the outfit, and different things. They, they don't believe in five families in New York, the syndicate. They run it as a business. And so Costello did exactly what he wanted to do. Chin Gigante, that was his first move. And how he missed him, I still don't know. I think Chin and Frank knew where Frank was going, and Chin wanted. Chin became the boss. Chin Giganti, mm. you know. I mean, he shot him from like five feet away. Right, 
and gave and grazed his head. And Frank, if you can't hit Costello in an elevator, oh, is that the one in the elevator? Okay, yeah, hello. How, how could you miss him? Well, he went on basically to uh, to be like the eldest statesman of the mob. Right. Correct. No, yeah. well, it goes down to money. Yeah. All about money. He still had the power. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Next one is from Luke. Luke says, Patrick, have you ever had any on-screen experience? Given your expertise on so many topics, I wouldn't be surprised. I had walk-on parts in a couple of movies, uh, French Connection, some bomb called and Jenny Makes Three with Alan Alda and Marlo Thomas. Oh, my I, God. Uh, I, I caught her. She was on a, on a bicycle, and the bike uh, ran away with itself in Central Park. And I happened to be walking up the up the road, and I I stopped the bike and saved her. But that was a part. That was a part, or really that that was a part. Oh, oh. I thought you did that in real life. (laughs) No, no, I I was saving other people. I'm good friends with her father. You know, I used to have Sunday dinner with them. With Danny Thomas? Yeah, some other. Yeah, she was a little girl then. Of course, you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, and other uh, small things along the line, but. uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of hurry up and waiting, man. Right, so you sit around all friggin' day. That's man. why people think it's a, you know, even like we were talking once before, people don't realize you're on that set 10 to 12 hours a day, and yeah. you say maybe three lines. You're in your trailer most of the time. And I, it's it's not as glorified as it looks. As well, it you, seems, know, you know how yeah. I got involved in this? We used to pull security for the sets when they were, when, when, when they were shooting outside. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, in uniform. This was uh, an official... Uh, NYPD function. Right. We, uh, the uh, tactical patrol force supplies security. Right. And every now and then they would say, I, I want that guy. You want to be in the picture? Well, all right. Why not? And, and, you know, I, so, in, in the French Connection, I stayed in uniform. When the, uh, if you if you recall the movie, uh, when uh, Popeye Doyle, the detective, is following the frog, the Frenchman, right. throughout Manhattan, he's passing all these cops. He talks to one, that's me. Oh, good. Oh, and wow. Back in the day. Were you ever brought on as like an on-air expert or anything like that? I did a lot of talk shows. I did Geraldo Rivera. I did all kinds of shows regarding to uh, regarding things uh, involving crime, but okay. I wasn't a technical advisor for anything. No. Okay, got it. All right, one more for tonight. Next one is from Sharon. Gianni, you have mentioned a few times how Nick Vallelonga is currently writing the screen adaptation of your book with Patrick, Hollywood Godfather. How did you connect with him? Also, as I'm sure you may know, we're all very excited for this to come out. Can you mention any actors who you know will be involved? Yeah, we're pleased to say that Chaz Palminteri has accepted to play Frank Costello. Hello. And we are in negotiations with a major, major star right now that uh, I can't even tell you because it's that big. And we're about to close a production deal that Pat, I'm telling him as he's for the first time listening. This is where I get all my information from this podcast. <laughs> you get it along with our audience. No, we, have, we, have a, we have a big uh, studio that stepped up, blown away we were when we got the call. And um, they're moving really fast track. So we should that's have. That's great. How, how did you meet Nick Vololongo? Nick, it's funny. I, I knew Nick Vololongo father, Tony Lip. So when I saw the Green Book, when the Copa, I was all, all over that. His father liked to hit people. They gave him a job as a maitre d', as a, a captain, and basically, because he was a big guy, and he was friends with everybody. 
Nick Vololongo, he refreshed my memory. I met him on the set of My Wedding in the Godfather. They told Tony Lip, who was in that scene at my wedding, he was sitting around with uh, Richard Conti and all of them, he was part of the Barzini family in the movie, and he said, anybody have kids, bring them up. We want a lot of kids at the wedding. So Nick Vallelongo, as a little boy, was at my wedding. And he went on to write the screenplay for the Academy Award-winning movie uh, Green Book. Right. Green Book. And now he's it's writing the world. Yeah. Seven now, Degrees of Separation from Gianni Russo. I mean, everybody's attached to you in some way in this country. That's so crazy. That is definitely true. But, we ought to do a show on that. But some guy do. sitting in, in a cave in Utah now knows you. <laughs> I'm convinced of it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for tonight, boys. Well, another great show. And yeah, thank everybody who's listening, uh, Pat, Megan, uh, we can't tell you enough. And Pat mentioned something, the last show and the last few shows. We need ratings, your opinions, and five stars, and what we would say. What, 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 right. We need reviews. iTunes reviews. Or reviews. On iTunes, we need iTunes. More yeah. I, on iTunes especially, especially? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Spotify and iTunes have two, have two different rating systems. Okay, uh, iTunes is, is the place to go. And if you like the show, and even if you don't like the show, you yeah. know, uh, let us uh, let us know what you think. And if you keep, have any story ideas, let us know what you think. Yeah. Keep, and keep sharing and building our fan base, please. We jumped a yeah. lot of thousands of people this week, fortunately. Hmm. So okay, God bless folks, you all. Well, Thank have you. Have a good night. Thank and, you very much. And Good night, guys. Bidi, bidi, We'll see you next week. <laughs> if you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me, and I'll be around. Or when it seems your friends desert you. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. You can also visit amazon.com for a listing of books Patrick Picciarelli has written. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather Podcast, as well as leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your emails and voicemails. Good night.